If I could have you turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of John. We'll be in John chapter 8 this morning, starting in verse 12. That's John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Now, kind of in the context, Jesus, you understand, came at a time when Israel had not had a, a prophet for over 400 years. And then you had, of course, John the Baptist come preaching that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But the people of Israel, they had strayed away from the true and living God. Their hearts had become hard. They were literally living in darkness. They thought they were worshiping God, but yet their hearts had drifted. They were just like the people in Isaiah's day. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord said, because this people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. That is a picture of the people of Israel in that day when Jesus came. And to be honest with you, I think it's a picture of many people in our nation. They claim God, but yet their hearts are far from Him. And that's the question I want to pose to you right up front this morning. Have you drifted? Has your heart drifted from the true and living God this morning? Do you have a passion for the things of Christ? Do the people that, that know you, would they say, that person loves Jesus? I see it not only in their words, but by their actions. Does your family see you worship the Lord? Do you have a desire to be in His Word? Do you have the heart to want to reach the lost for Christ? Or have you seen yourself drift from that first love? Well, Jesus is going to this morning make a very important statement. He's going to say, I am the light of the world. And so today we'll learn why Jesus calls himself the light of the world. Let's take a look at verse 12. We're going to take this in sections. Verse 12, then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So what does it mean where he says, I am the light of the world? First thing, Jesus provides spiritual life and direction for his followers. Jesus provides spiritual life and direction for his followers. In the Bible, to follow Jesus is synonymous with knowing him or believing in him. It's the same thing as saying you're born again. Now, last week we saw that Jesus had gone to the eight-day feast. And now the eight-day feast is over, and that feast was the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And on the next day, then Jesus returned from the feast to the temple to teach. And if you remember, he was interrupted by the scribes and the Pharisees, and they brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And we know they were hoping to catch Jesus, right? They wanted to trap him. And their desire, they were hoping that he would either say, yes, go ahead and stone her. That means they'd put him at odds with the Romans because the Jews weren't allowed to do capital punishment. Or no, don't stone her. Then he's going against the law. But if you remember, Jesus just stoops to the ground. And then he says to them in John chapter 8, verse 7, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first throw a stone. Now, if you remember, they scattered. All of them left, leaving her alone with Jesus. And Jesus did not condemn her, but yet he forgave her. They condemned her, but Jesus didn't. And so right now, Jesus is still speaking in the temple. Where we come today is right after that event. And he's in a place called the Court of Women. 
So Jesus is speaking in an area in the temple. It's called the, the court of women. Anyway, we know this because in John chapter 8, verse 20. Okay, do you see that right there on this side? It says the court, women's courtyard. Jesus is right there on the right-hand side in the center there where it says women's courtyard. And more than likely, he's standing somewhere in the middle there. And in John chapter 8, verse 20, it tells us that these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. To understand, the court of the women was that inner courtyard there, and it's moving towards the center of the temple. On the outside, you have what's known as the court of the Gentiles. And the court of the Gentiles was where both Gentile and Jews could gather both men and women. As you moved in to the court of women, now only Jewish men and women could be in there. From there, it moved in again, and it goes into what would be known as the inner court. Only Jewish men and priests would be allowed in there. And then you moved inside what's known as the holy place of the temple. And in the holy place, it was separated by a veil. And all the priests could go into the holy place, but only once a year you had what was known as the holy of holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant resided. And only once a year, the high priest could go in into the holy of holies. So Jesus is standing in this area called the court of women. And while he's standing there, Jesus cries out, I am the light of the world. Now, it's not an accident that Jesus said that right after you had this woman who was caught in the middle of adultery brought to him. Because I think what the people saw in that is the hypocrisy of the leaders. They saw the darkness of their hearts. They saw how they wanted to murder and kill. They saw sin displayed in the Jewish leaders. Now, this is the second of the seven I am statements. And if you remember, I spoke about the I am statements in John chapter 6. That's where Jesus says those Greek words, ego eimi. Now, that's the tetragrammaton, which talks about Jesus as being God in the Greek. When he says, I am, that was where God said to Moses in the book of Exodus, and when the burning bush, he says, I am who I am for the name of God. We know it as Yahweh. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And there's seven of them. Let me tell you what they are. You have the bread of life, the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the gate of the door in John chapter 10, verses 7 and 9. He says, I am the good shepherd in John chapter 10, verse 11 and 14. I am the resurrection and the life in John chapter 11, verse 25. I am the way, the truth, and the life in John chapter 14, verse 6. And I am the true vine in John chapter 15, verses 1 and 5. And each one of these I am statements, they reveal a different facet of Christ's nature, that he is truly God in the flesh. And so what Jesus does, he often speaks in, in metaphors and in analogies. And this is a way to help people understand the spiritual nature of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is going to do here when he makes this statement, I am the light of the world. He's saying it because within the temple, there were these four lampstands during the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus standing in the middle of that courtyard of the woman is going to be speaking about that and that the Feast of the Tabernacles, it dealt with the Jews' wilderness wanderings when they were taken from Egypt and they were set free in those 40 years that God walked with them in the wilderness. 
And Jesus, at this point, this is the third reference that he's going to have to do with the wilderness wanderings. Jesus' first reference to the wilderness wanderings where Jesus makes this reference, that's where he claimed to be the bread of life. If you remember, Jesus had fed the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fish. And the next day, a bunch of people come to him, a bunch of the Jews, and they say, hey, we want more bread. And they were thinking that Jesus was going to basically provide them like manna was provided for those when, when they had the wilderness wanderings. But Jesus makes a statement to them on a spiritual level. Listen to John chapter 6, verses 47 through 51. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. And then he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers, they ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Then he says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. And if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world, it is my flesh. So this first reference to the wilderness wanderings, Jesus says, it's in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He's speaking about that he is the true manna from heaven. He is spiritual bread. He gives eternal life. And then he makes a second reference, we know this, in the wilderness wanderings, and that was found in chapter 7, and we looked at this two weeks ago. During the Feast of Booze, it was for the memorial of the wilderness wanderings where you had the high priest go down and get the water at Siloam. And then the high priest came back with that water, and he poured it onto the altar. And as he was pouring that water on the altar, which represented God providing the water for the, for the people when they needed water in the wilderness, Jesus stands up and Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me to drink. So a second reference is with the water during the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus quenches our spiritual thirst just like God provided to quench the physical thirst of the people that wandered in the desert. And then here you have the third reference now, this is the second ceremony during the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's where they, they light these lamps within the midst of the courtyard. Now, the reason there's a picture of these four lamps that are within that courtyard of the women. And this would be the day after that night that they were lit. And so if you see those four there, Jesus is probably standing right in the middle of those lamps. And this is a visual reference for the people. And what that represented, it represented God during the wilderness wanderings as he was fire by night and a cloud by day. That's what that lighting of those lamps represented. It was a representation of God that he was light. And so Jesus standing in the midst of those lamps that everyone can see, you might even still have them smoldering with smoldering wicks, says, I am the light of the world. Do you see that visual picture there? And the people would understand that Jesus is ma making a reference to himself as if he is God in the midst of the wandering of his people. He was present with his people. Now the lighting ceremony was very similar to the water ceremony in that these four great lamps were lit in the courts of the temple. And it's said that when those lamps were lit, that they cast such a light that it was almost like a searchlight. And it gave so much light that people could see that light for miles around. Miles around. And, the, and the light 
lighting of these lamps, it was meant to call the people back to recall, back to remember what God did for the people of Israel in the desert. He was a cloud by day and he was fire by night. He was a protector. He was a guide for the people. If you remember when he was a fire, he protected the people from the Egyptians when they tried to attack. He was a cloud that gave them shade by night. So Jesus, metaphorically, he gives these three great wilderness wandering pictures. One, he's the bread of life, like manna. Two, he's the water that quenches our spiritual thirst. And third, this picture of the light of the world. So let's take a look at what it means when Jesus says he is the light of the world. There are four things that I think that we can see through this that just come, become crystal clear. Number one, it represents that God is with his people. Jesus is saying, just as God was with the people of Israel in the wilderness, I am with you as God. Just as God was there within their presence, I am with you, with your presence. As God was that fire by night and a cloud by day with the people, I am with you as well. Jesus says in verse 12, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now we know that God was with his people from Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. It says that the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor take away the pillar of fire by night, but he was before the people. So the Israelites were commanded to follow God as a cloud by day and as a pillar of fire by night. So if God moved, they were to move. If God didn't move, they were to go nowhere. God was with them. He was in their presence. And Jesus is with his people. Right before Jesus ascended to heaven, right before he was crucified, died, rose again, and ascended, he says this to his disciples, in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot know or receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you, and he is in you. At the moment you trusted Christ, you became spiritually alive. And the moment you trusted Christ, You've been given the Holy Spirit, and because the Holy Spirit resides in you, you have Christ in you. As a matter of fact, Paul the Apostle said this in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Christ is in you? Jesus is in you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said before he ascended to heaven, I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you know him? Because just as God was with the people of Israel in the desert, if you know Christ, he is with you. There's a second thing that, that this is represented by this, I am the light of the world. It represents God protecting his people. God protecting his people. Now, God protected the Israelites when they were in the desert. I mean, think about it. In the desert during the summer months, it could get up to 140 degrees. But God was a cloud by day. He covered them. He provided them shade. At night, it could be freezing temperatures, but God was fire. He was light, and he was heat to keep them warm at night. 
And not only that, he protected his people. Remember, he protected them from the Egyptians. God is a protector, and Jesus is a protector. He protects your very life, your very soul. If you trust in him, you are secure in him until you're with him in glory. Jesus is with us, and Jesus provides protection for his people. And there's a third thing that's represented here where Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Jesus Christ directs and guides his people just as God directed and guided his people in the wilderness wanderings. In Exodus, God directed and guided his people in the desert. I mean, think about it. They're in the desert. There is no real signpost anywhere. They could literally be going around in circles. When it was really, really hot, you'd have mirages and other things that would distort distances. But God guided. He directed his people. And Jesus is a guide, and he directs us through his word and by his spirit. Jesus is with you. He is your protector. He is your, he is your guide. And he directs us. And there's a fourth one here. Saying that I'm a light of the world means that Jesus provides us with spiritual life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Look at verse 12 again. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Just as God sustained the people of Israel, he provided them food, he provided them shade, he provided them light and heat, Jesus is life to us. He is spiritual life, he is eternal life. Jesus said this about himself in John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. If you know Christ, you have spiritual life. If you trust in Christ, that spiritual life, that eternal life is now present, moving all the way into the future. You are born again. You are and will be saved. So these promises that Jesus makes, that he's with us by his presence, that he is a source of protection, that he provides guidance and direction, that he is spiritual life, all of this is represented by him saying, I am the light of the world. But there's a key here. For you to take advantage of that, you must follow him. You must follow him. He says, those who follow him. And follow him is synonymous with knowing him, having a relationship with him, accepting him as your Lord and Savior. And without Christ, the Bible says that you are in darkness. Without Christ, he is the light of life. Without him, you have no life, but you're in darkness. Jesus has become our Lord, our Savior, our light. He said, the thief He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come to give life, and life abundantly. But there was a problem in that day. Of the thousands and thousands of Jews that were there, only a handful believed. This is why in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, John wrote this. He says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light, it shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Only a few, only a few comprehended it. This is why John wrote in John 1.11, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus is the light of the world. But the question is, is he your light? 
Do you know him? Do you have that living relationship with him? If you do, then those four, four promises are yours. That he will be with you, that he will protect you, that he will guide you, that he will provide you with spiritual life because those who follow him, they have life. But those that do not follow him are in darkness. This is why in John chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus said this, this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds are evil. Do you love the light? Or are you living in darkness? And when you look at Scripture, and you look at this metaphor of light and darkness, light typically means righteousness and goodness. And darkness typically means evil and sin. One of the clearest verses on that is Proverbs chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. It says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. And the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know where they stumble. Now, evil, it flees when it's exposed to light. It kind of reminds me of, of the evil bug called a cockroach. You know, when I think of darkness, if you think about, if you want to talk about the bug world, what is most afraid of light? It seems to be this cockroach, right? And I was thinking through this message, it made me remember when, when I went to Thailand with Pastor Neil about 10 years ago, we were staying in this refugee camp. And in the refugee camp, we were actually sleeping in, in, basically it was a wood structure, a house that was on stilts that the pastor stayed in. And it had this wood floor that there was a space of about a quarter inch between each of the panels of the floor. And we were sleeping on the ground on top of our sleeping bags. It was like 100 degrees. And so we just laid on top of it, and we had this little mosquito net over the top. And so as we laid down to go to sleep, I'm laying on my right side, and I keep hearing this noise, and I can't figure out what is it, but it's pitch black, man. There's like no light. You can't see even your hand in front of your face. So I find my flashlight, and I turn it on, and inside of my little canopy is a cockroach. And it's right by my head, and no kidding, this thing is about as big as my hand. (laughs) Seriously, this thing was monster. Now, I don't know if cockroaches bite, but for me, I'm thinking this thing can bite me. And so when I shine the light on it, it's scattered and it moves like lightning and it goes right down between the boards and it disappears in the floor. And so I'm laying on my side for a while. Oh, man, what do you do? Okay, nothing I can do. So I roll on my back and as I roll on my back, I lift up my leg and I put it down and I put it on top of the cockroach. And so the cockroach is underneath my foot and I don't know what to do. Because I'm thinking, okay, if I push down, I'm going to squish it all over my sleeping bag. I don't know if I want to do that. And so finally I just said, all right. And I took my foot off, and I rolled over on my side. I said, I just went back to sleep. Now you're thinking, what does this have to do with this story, right? Well, let me try to bring this maybe to a close. Like cockroaches, evil prospers in the dark. Do you like that connection? (laughs) But when the light of Christ comes in, It scatters evil. It changes things. And now we live in the light of Christ. You need Christ. The first thing, Jesus provides spiritual life and direction for those who follow him. Second thing, Jesus' testimony is reliable and true. Jesus' testimony is reliable and true. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Everything that Jesus testified about is absolutely true and without error. Look at verses 13 through 18. It says, So the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. 
And Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So the, so the Pharisees here, they say in verse 13 that your testimony is not true. Now, now, again, this is an attempt by them to stop Jesus. Now, if you remember, they tried to have him arrested in John chapter 7. They also tried to get him in John chapter 8 with a woman caught in adultery, and now again, they're trying to discount his testimony. So if you look at verse 13 again, it says, you are testifying about yourself, and your testimony is not true. Now, when you think about these Pharisees, these scribes, these religious leaders, you need to understand their hearts were hard. They were blinded spiritually. They could not understand, and they do not want to understand. They want to catch Jesus on a technicality, and that technicality is that he didn't have enough witnesses. Now, we know that that's a, a principle that's both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In Deuteronomy 17, 6, it says, On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, he who is to die shall not be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. Now, in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 5.19 says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. So the Pharisees, they consider themselves to be those that understand the religious law. And they're saying to Jesus, you don't have enough witnesses, so your testimony is not true. But the problem is they were spiritually blind. They didn't want to know the truth. You need to understand that Jesus is truth. And there are three things that Jesus says here that show and support that his testimony is true and that it's reliable. And the first reason its testimony is true and reliable is that Jesus is superior in both his abilities and in his knowledge. Jesus is superior both in his abilities and in his knowledge. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he is superior in every way over every other human being that has ever been born. Look at verse 14. Jesus said to them, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Jesus is saying right here, I'm telling you about my origin, where I'm from. Jesus had already told them where he was from. He already let them know in John chapter 6, that he came from heaven. John chapter 6, verse 51, he says, I am the living bread who has come down from heaven. Jesus made a plan. Hey, God, I am from heaven. I am the one who comes from it. All the apostles, they taught that. The apostle Paul put it like this in Philippians 2, 6, and 7. He says, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, and he put on the form of a bondservant being made in the likeness of men. Jesus existed in heaven before there was anything ever made. He is the second member of the triune Godhead, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit. When Jesus was praying before he was crucified, this is what he said to his Father in John 17, 5. He says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus is the infinite God-man. 
He is God in the flesh. That means all of his judgments are true. Since he is God, he cannot tell a lie. Everything he says, everything about his testimony is reliable. Everything is true. And he's bearing witness about himself. He's saying, my testimony and myself as God in the flesh, I'm saying to you as that one, the one who's come from heaven, that this testimony is true. And think about how unique Jesus is. His conception was unique. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. His birth was unique. He was born of a virgin. His miracles were unique. His very words were unique. Whenever he preached, people were amazed. On and on you could go. He is the unique one. And everything he says and everything he does, it's reliable. It's true. So that's the first thing. Jesus is superior in his abilities and his knowledge. But the second reason his testimony is true is because he only gives unbiased and impartial testimony. He only gives unbiased and impartial testimony. Jesus is defending his right here to give this testimony. Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, you judge according to the flesh. He says, but I'm not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. Now, as human beings, we have limitations. We have a sinful nature, and so we judge according to the flesh. But Jesus, being the perfect God-man, doesn't judge according to the flesh. He only judges based on truth. All of his judgments are unbiased. Everything about him is reliable. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted like we are, yet with, without sin. Every judgment that Jesus made was without sin. He is the perfect sinless one. Now, this is why Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 30, listen to this. He says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Every decision he made, every thought he made was absolutely aligned with the Father and his will. He was superior in his knowledge and his abilities. And his judgments were unbiased and impartial. And here's the third one. The third reason his testimony is true and reliable is that he had another witness, and that witness was the Father himself. The Father testified about the Son. Verses 17 and 18, it says, Even in your law it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Now, we know that, that God testified about Jesus Christ throughout the whole Old Testament, so we have that testimony, but we also have audible testimony. If you remember, in Jesus' baptism, God the Father audibly spoke. He said this in Mark 1.11, and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. He also said in the transfiguration when the three disciples were up on the mountain with Jesus in Mark, chap Mark chapter 9, verse 7, he said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. You have this valid testimony. Three of them before of us. He has superior knowledge and abilities. He's from heaven, which means that, that he has an unbiased and impartial testimony. And God the Father testifies about him. You have those three, but you also have a number of other ones. You have the last Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist. Right? He's the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. You have the miracles. They're a witness. They're a testimony of Jesus. 
Jesus says in John 5, 36, the very works that I do testify about me, that the Father sent me. You have the scriptures as a witness. Jesus says in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but it is these that testify about me. Again and again and again. Jesus' testimony is reliable. His testimony is true. Because he is light that shines in the darkness. You know, a number of years ago, Karen and I were in the desert driving with two of our kids. Our daughter wasn't born yet, but our son Matthew, I think he was around four or five, and our son David was around three. And, and so you know when you drive in the desert how dark it is until you come to one of those little towns that sometimes have a four-way light, and you kind of pull in the middle of town, and all of a sudden the lights, they shine in your car. And so we pulled up, and the light shined on the windshield, and all of a sudden my son in the back said, hey, Daddy, look, the window's dirty. Well, because we've been driving in the desert, he had all these bugs splattered all over it and all this kind of, I don't think why I'm talking about bugs so much today, but hey, they're all over the windshield. And so suddenly in the light, you could see all the mess on the windshield. But then when we pulled away, you know, we didn't think much about what Matt said, but as we pulled away, we got back into the darkness. Our son Matt piped up and said, hey, look, it's clean, right? Well, this is how the light of Christ works. Those that don't have Christ, they think that their hearts, that their life is clean before God. But when the truth of the Scriptures and the light of Christ comes into the, to your life, suddenly you see your heart for what it is before God. It shines on our hearts so that we can repent and be made right in Him. Do you know Him? He is the light of the world. He provides spiritual life and direction for those who follow Him. His testimony is reliable and true. There's a third one. This is the final one. Jesus reveals He is the only way to the Father. Right now, Jesus is going to proclaim that he is the only way to be right with the Father. Look at verses 19 through 21. So they were saying to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Then he said again, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sins where I am going. You cannot come. Now, the Pharisees, they, they tend to think only in human terms. Jesus had just explained that he was not from earth, that his father testified about him who is God. But the Jewish leaders, they won't accept his testimony, so they say in verse 19, where is your father? Now, you need to understand that this relationship between Jesus and these Jewish leaders, it is totally broken, totally fractured. And they know that Jesus' mother was Mary. And they know that Mary was pregnant before Jesus was born. And so they're leaning towards this idea that, that Jesus is illegitimate. And we know this because if you kind of scroll ahead to verse 41, they're going to throw this out there. We're not going to deal with it today, but they say, we were not born in fornication. We have one Father, God. So they're already thinking this at this point. And they're basically saying, we cannot accept you as our Messiah because you were one who were illegitimately born. But Jesus is going to make one thing crystal clear. And that one thing is that you cannot know God except through Him. You cannot have a relationship with God in any other means except by knowing Jesus Christ. In verse 19, He says, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These people, they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know where he's from, and they do not know him. They do not have a personal relationship 
with the living Christ. There are people, there are men who are in darkness. Now they look religious, they dress religious, and they act religious. But they're like Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Paul writes, for even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculation and their foolish hearts were darkened. They're like that. They knew about God. They did not know God. And their hearts were dark. They were blind to the things of God. And their goal is to take Jesus out. They want him killed. They already tried to arrest him, but that failed. They tried to trap him with the woman. That failed. They just tried to shut down his testimony. That failed. But now they're trying to discredit him. They want to discredit him altogether. They want to say that we're not listening to you because you're illegitimate. And there are many people that claim that they know God. But there is no other way to know him except through Christ. Now listen to Jesus' words. And we all know this one, John 14, 6, but you need to connect it with John 14, 6 and 7. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 7 says, if you had known me, you would have known the Father. But from now on, you know him and you have seen him. To know God, you must know Christ. If you do not have a living relationship with Christ, you do not know God. You are far from Him. You are living in darkness. When Jesus Christ responds, when He presents Himself, He presents Himself as the way, the truth, and the eternal life. He is it. So He says to them in verse 21, He says to them, I go away and you will seek Me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going you cannot come. Those that do not trust in Christ alone will die in their sin. They will not be in heaven. That's where he's going. They will be in hell, suffering eternal punishment. Without Christ, you will not, you cannot know his Father. Now, Jesus made this clear throughout the New Testament, and I'm going to kind of close this off with Matthew chapter 11, verses 27 through 28. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty seven, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anybody know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Now there's the key. You cannot know the Father except through the Son. If you don't know the Son, you don't know the Father. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Listen to Jesus' words in verses 28 and 29 of Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who are heavy, who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Christ, when you come to him, he lifts the burden of sin. It is through Christ that you meet the Father. I was talking to Pastor Brian up in my office. We were praying for the service. And he was sharing with me about somebody that he'd been ministering to that was close to death. The man was a few days away from death. And, and this man shared with Brian, I think his name is Hugh, he shared with Brian. He says, I just want to feel forgiven. 
He didn't know. And so Brian began to share with him. He says, well, do you know Christ? And the man was like, I don't know. Well, Brian didn't have the chance. The man didn't receive Christ at that moment. Brian went to to Mexico with the crew, and he was going to meet this man again on Monday, but he died. Listen to me, church. Do you know him? Come to him. Jesus cries out, come to me. All you who are heavy and burdened, and I will give you life. He is the light. Let's pray. Father, we ask your grace this morning. May you reveal yourself, Lord, in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.